On show 108, the difference between working for a web design agency or being an in-house designer, hosting bandwidth-intensive content, and what happens when I go and create my own web design conference. Welcome to Podcast for those involved in designing, developing and running websites. Designing, developing and running websites. This is what everybody waits for. This is what everybody waits for. podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul Baig and I'm alone today. No Marcus Lillington. I know he was threatening to leave us. I know that after his TV appearance he was saying that he was going to go off and start his world tour. In actual fact that's not what's happened and to be honest the news is kind of sad. Unfortunately Marcus's father um, died a few days ago and so Marcus isn't going to be able to be on the show this week. I think he'll be back for next week, but we just need to see how things go. Obviously, it's quite an intense time for him, and our sympathies do go out to him. It's obviously not easy at all. But the show must go on, and so we are going to do a show today. But obviously, Marcus will be sorely missed. I'll have nobody to be rude to. And to be honest, it's a kind of shame, because after being on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, there was just so much ammunition, so many ways I could have attacked him. But it kind of seems vaguely inappropriate now. You know, what am I supposed to do? If I do it next week, it just seems cruel. So I think I'm going to have to let it go. But I do encourage you to go along to boagworld.com forward slash podcast, select show 108, where you can see Marcus in all his glory. Okay, so let's kick off today with the news. And there is indeed lots of news this week. Seems to be a lot going on, so we need to cram it all in. However, before we kick off with that, I want to ask you to come on a little journey with me. Imagine for a moment, if you will, that an email lands in your inbox asking you to create your perfect web design conference. Who would you ask to speak at it? Maybe Daniel Berker from Dig? Andy Clark, he's a good speaker. What about John Hicks or Gina Bolton? Well, this is exactly what happened to me when the guys over at Carsonified asked me to chair this year's Future of Web Design conference. They asked me who I thought my dream lineup would be, and together we've worked on assembling them um, into one conference. And sure, there were some restrictions. Apparently raising the dead causes a problem, and hosting the conference on the moon is out of the question. However, overall, we did pretty damn well. So on the 17th and 18th of April in London, I get to attend and contribute to my dream conference. The lineup includes all of the people I've already mentioned and loads more. So scoot along to futureofwebdesign.com and you can see the complete lineup. The only thing missing really is you guys. 
God, that sounds so corny. It was fine when I wrote it down. Um, it would be really cool to do a bit of a Boag World meetup. Um, and so why don't you get over and sign up? It looks like it's going to be a really good conference. I seem to have had very good positive feedback on uh, the selections we've made so far. So definitely check it out. And if you like the sound of it, then come on along. It does cost £145, including VAT, or 480 if you want to attend the workshop that I'm also doing. So basically, I'm chairing the day, so I'll introduce the different speakers, um, and I'm helping them work out what they're going to speak on, and I kind of tie everything together. Um, But I'm also, on the following day, doing a workshop on selling web design services. So if you wanted to come to that part as well, then it's going to cost you that 480 However, I know that some of you are poor students or have miserable ass, tight ass bosses that won't pay for your tickets. So um, I do have a couple to give away. The guys at Carsonified are great for giving us free tickets to hand out, and this time round is no exception. So if you want to win a couple of tickets, and just email me um, with your name and your contact details. Send that to paul at boagworld.com. But if you could do me a favour and in the subject line put F-O-W-D, which stands for Future of Web Design, um, then it just means that I can filter out um, your um, submissions and it's easier for me to manage. So send me an email with your name and contact details and I'll pick a random winner in a couple of weeks. Okay, my second story for today um, is an excellent post by the Boxes and Arrows website. It tackles the subject of advanced search, you know, that little link that nobody ever clicks on. Search generally seems um, to be one of the most neglected parts of website navigation, which is amazing as it's the primary means of navigation for over 50% or around 50% of those that use websites. Now, I've seen some stuff written on search results, but next to nothing on advanced search. What is more, advanced search is not only ignored by writers, but also by users. Few of us choose to actually use that functionality, only turning to it as a last resort if all else fails. In this article on Boxes and Arrows by Stephen Turbrick, um, he suggests that we need to redesign advanced search from the ground up. Instead of advanced search being a tiny little link that's generally overlooked, it should be an integral part of the search results page, which, um, which would then allow kind of complex filtering to be carried out through a graphical interface. Now, it's kind of hard in an audio podcast to explain exactly what he's on about without you actually being able to see examples. So definitely go over and check out the post. And if you ever work with search, then this is definitely a must read. Next up is a blog post by Cameron Mole on how to start a new design from scratch. We've spoken before um, on the show about how hard it is to come up with a design from scratch. Nothing, and I mean nothing, saps your creativity more than a blank sheet of paper or an empty Photoshop file. Cameron gives some great solid advice um, on how to get going with design, some of which you'd expect. Things like try sketching rather than diving straight into Photoshop and look at previous work that you've done or other people have done for inspiration. However, he also suggests some maybe less well-known approaches, things like start with a grid, or more interestingly, and I hadn't heard this one before, start with core content. And what he means by that is that often when we start doing a design, we start by doing the header and the navigation and all those kinds of things and kind of come to the actual content, what the page is about, last of all. And uh, Cameron suggests uh, that it should be the other way around. 
And I think that's really good advice as it focuses the designer on what the site's really about rather than on the interface it's set that we use to navigate it. Okay, so my last news story of the week is a superb set of tutorials that I came across on YouTube. Now, I'm not exactly sure how useful they are, but they're definitely entertaining, so that kind of goes some way. Most screencasts um, you see uh, may be very informative, but are deadly boring. And uh, you know how on this podcast we try and be entertaining, although this week isn't as entertaining because I don't have Marcus here to interrupt me. But normally we try and be entertaining as well as informative. So that's the kind of approach this set of tutorials take. Um, they're called um, You Suck at Photoshop, and they, they're basic Photoshop tutorials, but with a twist. As the person recording the screencasts vents his rage against his cheating wife. Hopefully this is a joke and not real, um, but I'll just play a little bit of the audio to give you a taste of what I mean. First off, get a photo, open up Bridge. And, you know, maybe you've got a photo of your family, or maybe uh, you've got a photo of some people who care about you. Or maybe you've got a photo of the Vanagon that your wife and her friend from high school spend Friday nights in. Uh, yeah, you know, so actually, oh, hey, look, I've got that one myself right here. So let's go ahead and open that up. That's what we'll start with. Um, let's just say for hypothetical that you really want to do some shit to this Vanagon. And, I mean the real Vanagon. But let's also say that there's a, a restraining order that prevents you from getting close enough to do that kind of shit to it. So let's have Photoshop do the dirty work for us. Now, we could, what, we could uh, bash it up a little bit um, or set it on fire. You know, I'd rather try something a little more subtle. He then goes on to put his marriage certificate in the window of this van so his wife and her lover can see that their marriage is a sham. And uh, actually, the whole thing kind of deteriorates, and eventually you hear the wife screaming in the background. And there seems to be a little series of these, and there's a second one and a third one. With the third one, he removes um, his wife's wedding ring digitally. And it it teaches you different parts. It's very entertaining, if nothing else. Um, So, you know, if you're beginning with Photoshop, then check it out, because you might actually learn something. For the rest of us, it's just entertaining. But no doubt by now you're really missing Marcus. I know it's it's so boring without him, isn't it? But luckily there's good news because next up we have an interview with Daniel from uh, Dig.com and Leslie from GetSatisfaction.com. And it's an interview I recorded a little while ago with Marcus as well where we discuss with them what it's like to go from working with an agency to then working as an in-house designer, which is a kind of fascinating conversation and um, hopefully will be really useful to any of you that are considering either um, going into the industry for the first time, trying to decide which way to go, or alternatively maybe thinking about a career change. Okay, so joining me today is Daniel Berker from dig.com. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Paul. Nice to have you on the show again. It's been a while. Thanks for having me again. And we've also got Leslie Chiquin joining us as well um, from Satisfaction. What's the the URL again? Remind me. Sure. It's getsatisfaction.com. Get Satisfaction. That that was the bit that I was missing. I I should have been prepared and had that already on my screen, but there you go. I'm badly organized. And, of course, how could we do an interview without having Marcus here as well? Hello, Marcus. 
Hi, Paul. Hello. <laughs> uh, getsatisfaction.com. You must be able to sell that for millions to a porn agency. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've gone off on, a, on one already. Um, oh, I've heard those jokes so many times. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm so predictable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to ask, ask people from America, where are you and what's the weather like? I know it's really a boring English thing to say, but it really is horrible over here at the moment. Well, we're in sunny San Francisco. I think the yeah. weather's about 65 right now. 65 yeah. Fahrenheit. That's so unfair, isn't it? I, why, why do we live here? I just don't, don't know why we choose to continue to live in Britain in the winter. <laughs> I was just in Canada last week and it was, you know... It was, 20 degrees below freezing, so it's really nice to be back in the Bay Area. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Not that cold here, that's for sure. It's just wet. It rains all the time in the winter. So, <laughs> so Daniel, uh, I'm, I'm dragging it back to the subject now, Marcus, if you hadn't actually noticed. Right, well, you go off on weird tangents, that's fine. So, uh, Daniel, we've had you on the show before, and so um, hopefully our listeners know a little bit of uh, your background, and if they haven't heard of dig.com, then they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, <laughs> Leslie, you're new to the Boag World podcast, so, so perhaps we ought to kick off with you um, and just perhaps tell us a little bit about um, satisfaction and a little bit about yourself and your own background, if you would. Sure. Well, I'll start with satisfaction. It's basically us trying to redo what customer service is. There's a lot of discussions happening online about companies, and a lot of times the companies aren't involved. So we're trying to get companies and customers together in the same space, mm -hmm. talking about products and issues and ideas for the future. And yet, we're also trying to make sure that it's a level playing field so that neither side has control over the conversation. Mm -hmm. So we're acting as an intermediary, allowing these true conversations that are open to the public that everybody can see that anybody can get involved in. But we've actually even got people talking about customer service for companies, and the, the companies aren't there yet. Right. Satisfaction.com slash Apple is a very popular section, and there's nobody from Apple on the site yet. But there are also sections like um, the one for Google and the one for Twitter, and we have Google employees and Twitter employees all involved. Mm. And it's a very different take on customer service because it's not just customer service reps. It's people who are programming, people who are designing, people who are in the HR departments, all getting involved and having much more direct contact with the customers. So do the companies actually have to, to pay in order to participate in this, or is this a, a free service? How does it work? What's your business model? Well, all the features that we have right now are free. Um, our business model is still being developed. Not to say that we don't have one, we just have a lot of different directions, and we want to make sure that whichever direction we take um, fits in with our philosophies. But we're hoping that in the future, for us, we see the potential being in the analytics and in the data that we collect. Mm. Um, you're on the site and you're telling us a lot about the different products and services you're using, and we can help companies then make connections between what products you use and like and what other products and services you might also be interested in. Mm. Yeah, of course. Start collecting more information about who you are and why you're there in the first place. I guess the other great thing, I mean, if, if you're, you're thinking about building a web app of any, any description, then this is a great mechanism, you know, that already exists to handle the customer service inquiries you get without having to build all the kind of, you know, functionality that, that is needed to do that as well. So I, I imagine you're, you're attracting a lot of smaller companies as well. Yeah, it's actually been a really interesting display. We've got small web apps. We have larger web apps, such as uh, Google, Dig. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I mean, even Pounce is an example. When we, we set up Pounce originally, we wanted to get, you know, have a, a way to communicate with our, our users, and, and we immediately just, 
you know, set up a satisfaction page, signed up. It's, it's been great for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's been pretty easy. Well, another thing actually, too, that I wanted to mention uh, that's really great about the service is oftentimes there's customer service issues that span multiple companies. So a great example was a guy who was having problems getting a refund on an airplane ticket, and he wasn't sure if it was American Airlines or if it was Expedia.com. Ah. So he came to our site and was able to post the issue to both sides and have them both look at it and communicate together there. Uh-huh. What about you uh, personally, Leslie? What is it that you do at Satisfaction? Sure. I'm a designer, which mm-hmm. is kind of an open title. Uh, currently, I do a lot of UI design. I do a fair amount of concept development. Um, I actually span a little bit of the business strategy as well. Uh, we have front-end developers who actually do the coding, so most of what I do is wireframing. Uh, okay. My background, okay. though, is actually game design. Really? Really. So, so <laughs> I, that, that seems an interesting leap to go from uh, game design to kind of designing a web app like this. Is it, is it a big difference? or? It's not really, because so much of what I learned in game design was how you design mechanics that create particular types of dynamics. Mm-hmm. So you want people to act a certain way or to have a very, like in our case, we want people to have a really positive attitude. And there's actually things in the design that make people happier and make the conversations more open and positive. Mm-hmm. Everything from the wording that we use to how we break down the steps, trying to keep it all simple. Mm. Um, if you visit the site, you'll notice that it's very white and clean and light. And that, again, adds to that kind of feel mm-hmm. that helps people be more communicative. Mm. Mm, interesting stuff. So, so I mean, the the reason that we thought we would we would set up this call today um, is really to talk a little bit. Um, well, it was a conversation that I I had previous uh, previously with you, wasn't it, Daniel? About um, the fact that you come from an agency background and you used to work for a company. What was the name of the company again? Silver Orange. Yes, that was it. All one word. Yeah. yeah. And um, they were a uh, just a, a, a you know what you would call a normal web design agency. Um, and, and while doing that, you you Dig was one of your clients. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, I helped found Silver Warren. There were there were six of us who started the company back in '99, I think. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, but we were a pretty typical kind of boutique web shop. And what interested me from the conversations we were ha- um, having previously was the way that you've ca- you kind of went from working at, at Silver Orange um, across to then working for Dig. So you've kind of gone from being, you know, working for an external agency where you had lots of different clients and that kind of stuff to working, you know, as an in-house designer on, on a single project. Um, and, and I thought that was quite an interesting discussion and quite an interesting area to cover. And um, you mentioned uh, Leslie to me and that uh, you've been having a similar conversation in a in a coffee shop somewhere with her so we thought let's you know let's set up a, a few minutes and have a chat about some of the kind of ramifications of that and and i guess the good place to start is you know perhaps daniel you kick us off as what you see the difference being between working you know as an in-house designer somewhere and working for an external agency is there a big difference um, I'm absolutely. I mean, it was it was actually quite interesting. I was back in um, in Canada last week to for Silver Orange. That's kind of a, a yearly State of the Union meeting, mm-hmm. and I, I'm still involved with the company a bit. And so I, I went back there for that, and I was, I was again having this exact same discussion just by happenstance with one of our designers, and he was really jealous that you know I'm, I'm currently redesigning the the dig comment system, and he thinks it's really interesting that you know I designed it 
twice now and I'm coming back again and doing it a third time. Mm. And, you know, that kind of iterative development is something, you know, you frequently don't get to do in the agency environment. And, you know, that, that's one of the real pros of working, I, I think, as an in-house designer is that, you know, you don't build something and just hand it off. You get the chance to build it, receive feedback, you know, watch how people use it, you know, gauge some metrics over time, and then come back and redesign it, and you can mm. continue to improve something. I mean, would you would you agree with that, Leslie? Is that one of the things that attracts you working at uh, Satisfaction? Definitely. There's something to being able to see a project through and then check back on it again and again. But that's also one of the things that makes it difficult. Mm. Um, you no longer have new perspectives. But we had talked about this specifically at the coffee shop. Um, when you're working for an agency, you come in and, and what makes you special is your new perspective. And when you're working at a company, you no longer have that. So there's that struggle of trying to make sure that you can somehow come afresh to new projects. Um, and when you're iterating, bringing in new eyes, trying to see what needs to be fixed becomes a challenge. You were, at one point in the sentence there, you said again and again, <laughs> and I heard Marcus snigger at that. He obviously picked up on that as well. I, I mean, that's the thing that, you know, somebody that works for an agency, I, I, I have to confess, I think I would go absolutely crazy working on, on you know, one website, you know, over a long period of time, uh, probably because I've got the attention span of a newt. But, uh, you know, do you ever kind of long for that kind of variety of work to work on? Oh, Definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's something really, really fun when you're working for an agency, especially if you're working for, you know, clients who give you a lot of leeway and a lot of respect, that you kind of, you walk in the door and you can immediately see 80% of the problems on their site and you say, listen, like, this is what you need to do, this is what you should fix, and, and you get immediate reaction. It's, it's really fun, right? Mm -hmm. you, can, you can bring so much change so quickly. And, and somewhere like Dig, for instance, I mean, I, I only have one, one or two sections of the site now that I'm looking at where I'm like, okay, you know, I still have huge room for, for improvement here. I know, you know I want to kind of tear it down and, and, you know, think of it from scratch. And all the other places are refinement, refinement, refinement. And that's, it's way more challenging, and, and that's what makes it fun. But it's also a bit more tedious. It's not, you know, something fresh. So I was going to ask what what are the different skills you need. I think possibly you, you've kind of answered that. Maybe being a little bit more dogged and determined. Um, are, are there any majorly different skills between um, working on multiple projects at an agency and working on the same site all the time? Definitely. Um, I think especially when you're working at a company versus an agency, the projects you're working on, you have to have a better understanding of their implications throughout the rest of the business. So when we're iterating and we're working on those small details, a lot of times the changes are based on business needs or on um, you know, metrics and things that we've gotten. Um, so that kind of judgment is not something that I, that I personally had as much experience with when I was working at um, an agency. And actually the, the team that works on Get Satisfaction was initially a consultancy, so it was weird to see the entire team have to switch over. Oh, right. Uh, and so initially when we were, when we were uh, Ruby Red Labs was the consultancy, um, the individual people were not as involved in which projects we chose um, or even really finding out that much about the company. It was the, the founders were the ones who did that kind of research, and now we all have to do that kind of research. Mm -hmm. Right. I think I was, it was interesting because I was in a different position at, at Silver Orange as one of the founders that 
you know, I did have quite a say in, in terms of which projects we picked, and especially the UI projects where I was working more solo with a client, you know, it would largely, you know, if I didn't want to take a project, we wouldn't take it. It's, it's working with clients, I, I still was trying to get to know their business a, a lot, you know, before I get into it, you know, as much as you can in, you know, the week or two you get to get a ramp up into a project. But at somewhere like Dig or like Pound, you know, it's a lot more about thinking strategically and thinking very much in the long term. Hmm. Because if you paint yourself into a corner, I mean, it, it is literally yourself, and you're going to be the one who has to dig your way out of it later on. Hmm. Do you guys ever, do Dig or Satisfaction ever still bring in external specialists from time to time? Definitely. Um, again, we were talking about needing fresh perspectives and bringing new people in is always a great way to do that. Mm. We occasionally have, for us, what we do is we, we have uh, design sessions where we'll bring in basically just a guest and show them what we're doing and get their opinions on things and see if they have new ideas. I mean, it's quite interesting that, isn't it? Because, um, I mean, we do a, a lot of work for um, a whole variety of different clients. And you do sometimes go into these companies and they've got internal design and development teams. And you think, why are we, why are we actually being brought in here where they've, they've got the skills in-house, but they're not really kind of utilizing what they've got? And there's a perception that if you bring in somebody from the outside, they've somehow got more skill um, than, you know, perhaps an in-house team. Do you, do you feel more or less valued as an in-house employee than you did, you know, externally? <laughs> you, don't, you don't get that same sort of shiny new feeling um, <laughs> as an in-house designer. I definitely feel more valued at this point than I did in the consultancy um, because more of the burden to get things right is on my shoulders now. Mm-hmm. So you really can't just throw my ideas out the window. Yeah. It isn't actually interesting. When, when new people come into a, a company, there's a lot of, you can see that in some people's eyes, they get a little nervous, right? Maybe this person coming in is, is going to be more valuable than me and yeah. I'm not going to be oh. as respected. I'm so excited. I just hired a, another designer at, at Dig, and uh, so there's now three of us, and uh, I mean, he's awesome, and I'm like, I'm so excited to get somebody in here who, like, A, can code better than me, and B, he, like, is bringing an entirely new perspective to the site. So, you know, it's really nice to have fresh eyes, you know. So this is, you know, the best of both worlds because, A, he's now an in-house designer, and, B, he's just joined, so he's, like, completely fresh to it. Mm. And it's, you know, I'm going to capitalize on that as much as I can in the next couple of months before he, you know, gets too deep in it and, you know, kind of, you know, gets into the aquarium. I mean, I guess you guys haven't been doing it that long as being an in-house designer, but do you think there's a point where you have to move on, where you've actually been there too long and perhaps you're too institutionalized into a certain way of thinking? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I know this, this older, you know, guy, he used to be like creative director at Apple and creative director at, you know, uh, Polaroid, like a bunch of big companies. And he's been, you know, his current job for, you know, a decade, I think, but he's able to think incredibly creatively and leverage the people under him to, you know, bring fresh ideas to projects. I think as long as you're able to adapt, I mean, you can't just act like the same, you know, just come in the door and just keep doing the same type of work all of the time. I think if you're able to adapt to that, you know, in-house, you know, kind of um, philosophy, I, I think you can you can definitely keep at it. Mm. Yeah, I don't have as much experience with that, but that does sound like the way to do it. Even even with just the year that I've had a satisfaction, you do end up having to play a lot of games or do things to freshen the project and freshen the work. Right. I guess I find too at somewhere like Dig, there there's so many sub projects within the whole 
like it's not like okay i'm working on the home page every single day this year mm. you know that's one very minor part of the site you know there's we break down projects into you know components and you know the redesigned comment system is very different than redesigning user profiles you know those are i, I see them as very independent projects you know obviously we you know tie stylistically and you know from a user interface standpoint tie them together but you know they're very different challenges which is you know mixes up your job a lot it was quite interesting with your experiences, both of you, is that um, you worked for agencies that um, worked on these, these the, the applications you're currently full-time involved with. And so you saw that point where, you know, um, you know dig and satisfaction went, okay, it, it's not the right business move to, to have an external agency now. We need to bring that in-house. And I'm, I'm just kind of quite interested as to what happened in that process and, and, and whether you've got much of a kind of idea of what that tipping point is. Where, where do you go from going, yeah, we can use an external agency from this to the point where we really need in-house staff? I'll let Daniel answer that one. But... Sure. <laughs> um, the, so for DIG, it, it really happened that, um, you know, originally it was kind of a project Kevin had. He was just throwing it around, wanted to see if it, you know, would get traction. And you know when it started to get traction, he hired you know Silver Orange to come in and, and redesign the interface, so it was a lot more usable. And then you know the site was gaining momentum, gaining momentum, and he kind of got to one point where he brought Jay Adelson into the company, and then they started thinking, okay, this is a serious business, it's got viability, and then you know kind of decided to you know start a company around it, you know more in a much more serious and methodical way. And that was kind of the point where they were like, okay, you know, one of those positions is going to be a designer. Mm. And I was down here, I've been coming down probably once a month down to San Francisco from Toronto. And uh, at one point, Kevin was like, you know, you should really move here. And we were at In-N-Out Burger, I think. And it's like, yeah, it was pretty tempting. It's warm down here. And got, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, so he convinced me to move down. And, and, and even for the first bit, it was, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I hope a lot of companies can do this kind of thing, that it was, it was actually quite flexible that I was working, you know, still working one week a month on Silver Orange projects while I was here, which was good for them because it's it, good for a gig because it, um, they didn't have to pay me as much, you know, out of pocket. And there, at the time, there wasn't quite enough time to, for a full-time person. And, and that yeah. way, I still had, you know, this was really nice. Uh, it was a nice period of design because I had kind of the best of both worlds where I could work on, you know, a bunch of client projects, you know, on you know that one week a month and you know work on the client side of things or sorry on the kind of long-term in-house designer kind of things uh, three weeks out of the month. It was a slightly different situation for uh, transition into satisfaction because we had been as a, as a whole company as a team looking for a project to start. Um, so for us it was more like slowly letting go of our client work. Okay. Um, when we That's transitioned hard. into satisfaction, um, we sort of let go of most of our development work first and let go of our design work and then transitioned completely into satisfaction. Um, so I did have that period again, as, as Daniel was saying, where you get to work on new projects and you're also working on more long-term goals for your new project. I can't imagine sl- slowly giving up project work. I mean, it, it, I guess it's the salesman in me, but it's, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's really, I, I find it really hard to turn any business away, you know, even if it's completely yeah, it, wrong. It was actually really difficult. It was, um, <laughs> It's very difficult to, to let people go when they, they want you and they still need you to be doing work for them. Silver Orange is actually currently thinking about doing that, that they've got an idea for a, a project and they're thinking about potentially scaling back and 
I don't think we drop all, like we're definitely not going to drop all client projects, but we've been talking about kind of hedging our bets and, and a few people on the team, you know, just, you know, kind of pumping out a project, have, drawing in other people as they're required. And I think that that's also an interesting strategy as long as you can, you know, be disciplined enough, you know, to, to commit enough time to it. Hmm. Yeah, I think our team actually decided up front that, that there was a stopping point for us. We were afraid that we would uh, not be able to be disciplined enough and that we would have problems with, um, time being spent on things that were interesting or new instead of the core project. Right. Mm. I mean, we're looking, you know, we, we obviously knock around different ideas and, and um, you know, web applications are, uh, we perceive um, for us would be a way of expanding the business rather than necessarily replacing one with the other. Um, so, you know, there are lots of different right. ways of slicing the cake, I guess. Yeah, that's the same philosophy Silver Orange is, is likely to follow. Mm. Definitely. Mm, it's, and it's, it's frustrating when you're building other people's projects all the time and you're just like, wow, we've got like, you know, we know we have the skills in house to build something awesome, mm. but, you know, and, and smart people to come up with ideas, you know, why should we be building it for other people when we can be doing it ourselves? Yeah, <laughs> completely. Uh, this is so, so familiar. We're, we're, we've been having, well, I mean, since day one, I mean, the, the, I guess the, the simple example of this is, is just your own website as an agency. That's, that always gets put to the bottom of the pile. We're, we've been thinking about developing different applications for quite a while now, but just trying to get people off paid projects onto that is, well, it's, it's impossible. <laughs> we, we, we have had to. Yeah, well, well, the thing we, where we've got to now is that there, you know, proper contracts have been written up, you know, for, between two different departments within Headscape, if you like, so that, so that it is an official project. The, you know, these these applications that we're working on at the moment. When Just you say it out, out loud like that, Marcus, it sounds <laughs> so pathetic that we're writing statement works for ourselves. <laughs> but that's how we're getting around the problem. But I, I you know, I've got to admire this kind of uh, all, you know, all or nothing approach of right. We're going to go. For for it but anyway i think that's something that's it's actually really curious about the bay area that's different than other other places there really is this attitude here of like you know kind of figure out like what's the worst that could happen you know and the worst that could happen means that like eh, things didn't go so well in six months and like you still can barely pay your rent and, you know if that's the worst that happens then like whatever just go for it Mm. I think that's why so many projects here just end up getting off the ground. And maybe some of them aren't great ideas, you know, like hopefully they are, but like, you know, but that's why so many ideas do get built. And I think mm. that's great. There's a real mm. sense of optimism here. And a lot of support too. If you've got right. an idea, there's very few people here who are, who are secretive with their ideas. Um, everybody's always talking about all their ideas and sharing and it's always about building towards something, not trying to hide. Or well, it's uncompetitive too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of post-competitive that, you know, people here are, you know, the, there's such a big audience for, for a lot of these, you know, products. They're just like, you know, why should we quibble over, you know, the, the similarities between our projects? Let's just like figure out ways that we can do stuff together and, you know, throw around ideas that are shared. I mean, That's it's nice. really fun. Mm. All right. Good. So, um, for for a lot of the people that are listening to this show, um, you know, some of them are students that are coming out of university and are, are looking for their, you know, their first, you know, movement into the web design world. We've got other people that are, you know, what I would call enthusiastic amateurs that are, are looking to move full time in web design. Uh, you know, you, you've got lots of different ways you could go these days, you know, if you've got web design skills. I mean, I guess, Choice number one is you could go, right, okay, go for it. I'm going to build my own web application. 
Choice number two is you could go and join an agency and you could work on a variety of, you know, third party, um, third party work. And choice number three, I guess, is to, to become an in-house designer or developer for, you know, for a, a company, whether that be, you know, a trendy web 2.0 company or whether it be an in-house designer for, a, you know, I don't know, online banking or whatever. How do you go about making that decision and, and what advice would you give people as to, to where to begin? You know, are you going to damage your career if you start off by working in one place? Should you be doing lots of different types of work? You know, what's your advice? I, I think we both sort of agree that, that actually the framing on that's not quite right. The, the real thing that you're looking for is good people. So whichever of those situations gets you around other great designers, um, mm. other great teams with projects that you're excited about, it probably doesn't matter as much as you might think that it would. Right. So it's a, I, it's I, a bad the only question. Thing I'd caution against is, is I, I'd be if if I was getting into the industry right now, I just wouldn't want to get into a huge agency where I'm not. I don't know what what you know subsection of that agency I'm going to be in. You know which team I'm going to work on. Mm-hmm. I mean, joining a group of you know less than fifteen kind of thing, you can get a good idea of who you're actually going to be working with. And that kind of, you know, apprenticeship with really brilliant people is, is easily the best way to advance, I think. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I, I must admit, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. And yes, Marcus, it was a rubbish question. But it's the <laughs> no, best. No, it was a great question because that's the one that everyone's asking. Well, yeah. I mean, we get that. At time. The, my mistake is I should have said, what advice did you have for people starting out in their career? I shouldn't have constrained you by giving you these different options. But Actually, you, you get, well, it's interesting, too, because it's not even just starting out. Like, this is something you, you constantly ask yourself as a designer. Am I in the right spot? Am I doing what mm. I need to be doing to advance my career? Um, not just starting it, right? And this, again, is I come back to this all the time. If if there are good people around me, then I'm in the right spot. Yeah. If I'm inspired by the people working around me, I'm in the right spot. I'm going to have to move, Marcus. I'm sorry. I work with I work with you, you know, good people. I've got to have good people around. <laughs> He's used to it. He likes my abuse. <laughs> I'm also not a designer, so... Uh, no, you're no. not. No, that's very true. Although I don't think I could consider myself a designer anymore, but there you go. Took the words right out of my mouth, Paul. I, I thought I'd beat you to the punch. You did. Okay, thank you very much, guys, for coming on the show. That was really, really interesting. You covered some really good stuff. And, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get a lot of positive feedback on this interview. Thank you uh, for coming, and we'll get you on the show again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Paul. Okay, so before we wrap up today's show, let's do a couple of listeners' questions, the first of which comes from Eric. Hey guys, big hello from America. This is Eric Wolf of the Art of Storytelling with Children podcast, and I've been a fan of yours for about 40 shows now, long-time listener, and I really enjoy all the advice and great stuff you offer. Um, I'm really curious about issues of high bandwidth sites and how you deal with that without setting up your client as going bankrupt. Uh, my podcast is starting to become successful. It's not as successful as yours, but I'm just starting to get up in a higher bandwidth range. And I was just wondering if there were some non-traditional ways of dealing with lots of bandwidth on a site. I've tried some different techniques. Uh, and Lipson, in some ways, I don't really like. Um, tried some of the archive sites where they'll archive the show for you. And I did a few other things. And I'm just wondering what creative solution you guys are using. 
I've just had a number of people in the hosting industry who I've talked to who claim that some of these sites that claim unlimited bandwidth, that the quality of the download um, goes down for some reason or the ability of that site, that there there really is no such thing as a site with unlimited download. And that's what a number of my friends in the industry have been telling me, and I was just curious about your view on that. I look forward to your next show, uh, as always, and I hope you guys keep the banner up because, honestly, I I love listening to when you guys are totally off topic. It's It's hilarious. Well, Eric, I'm sorry that we have no banter for you this week, but rest assured there'll be ample banter in the future. I have to confess, in answer to your question, that I've kind of largely avoided the escalating costs of hosting this podcast, thanks to um, the kind sponsorship of SwitchPod. Um, We host with SwitchPod.com, and they're kind enough to provide uh, unlimited bandwidth for us at an incredibly reduced price, which is is great of them. Um, And I've got to say, they've done a really good job, so um, I'm generally very happy with them. However, for those of you that haven't managed to gain sponsorship um, or maybe who are looking for solution for clients, then there are numerous options available. As Eric said in his questions, there is Libsyn, for example, which are well known for their hosting of multimedia files and an amazingly competitive rate. I'm not really quite sure why Eric um, has an issue with them because personally I've heard very good things about them and I even used them for a while. The only thing that I found difficult about Libsyn is that they uh, limited the amount that you could upload each month. Not the amount that people downloaded but the amount that you uploaded. Which is fine if you're starting something like a podcast um, or uploading video from scratch but if you're kind of um, trying to put a back catalogue online, which I was, I was trying to move from one hosting environment to another you couldn't do it because you couldn't transfer that amount of files up in any one go anyway another option for hosting video or audio um, is an internet archive Um, and the one that is probably most well known is archive.org and this is a a service is free although i do hear some reports um, of performance issues so just be aware of that of course, if you're dealing with video, then there's a whole host of possibilities from YouTube to Viddler. Um, some services are better than others, so be careful. For example, some resize your video or limit the file size and length of your video, like YouTube is a good example of that. If you're hosting for clients, then be sure to check the terms and conditions of these sites, as some of them uh, actually have some things written in that you're probably not very happy about Um, for example some of them preclude the option of using it for commercial purposes while others have got ownership issues um, so whereby for signing up for their service they have the rights to reuse their video your video however they want which obviously is not ideal in a commercial environment Lastly, in response to Eric's concerns about the download quality of unlimited um, bandwidth sites, I have to say I've not experienced that yet. I can see in theory how it would be a problem as you get into bigger numbers, um, and obviously the service might struggle to to deal with those kinds of numbers, but it's not something I've experienced yet, and I would have thought this podcast has got fairly big numbers um, compared to most needs for, for high bandwidth sites. Um, sounds to me that there, it might be a case that Eric's friends and people in the industry are trying to justify their own inflated prices and offers. But that might be a very unfair thing to say. Anyway, our next question comes from Harry. 
And he wrote in and said, given that you like to receive questions in audio format, can you or any of the other Boag Wilders uh, recommend any software that does the job? Well, we certainly do like receiving audio questions, Harry. And I noticed that you send yours in as an email, tut tut. Um, and especially now we're doing this kind of listeners segment of the show where you guys are contributing to the show a lot more. It's kind of even more important. So you kind of kicked me into action a little bit, Harry. And I've actually gone now um, and made it a lot easier for people. So I've signed up for a Skype in account, um, which means that you can send me messages either by Skyping me at Boag World Show, one word. Um, or alternatively, if you're in the UK or if you fancy paying international rates, then you can call me on 020-3239-6755. That's 020-3239-6755. Or you can Skype me at Boag World Show. So no excuse now for you not to send me an audio question, comment or suggestion. And we're desperate for them. So send them in. Definitely want to hear from you. However, let's just presume for a moment that you might want to record or edit audio for another reason beyond commenting on Boag World. I know it's hard to imagine, but it is possible. Chances are, if you're a web designer or website owner... You don't do a lot of audio work, and as a result, you don't want to shell out a lot of money. Therefore, simple recommendation, which is Audacity. If you haven't come across Audacity before, it's a free audio editor that works on both the Mac and the PC, um, and is really as good as many of the professional packages out there. And best of all, it's got all of the kind of basics that you would need, all the compression stuff and normalization and all of that kind of stuff, and has some great export options and um, exports into a number of different formats. So it's definitely worth trying out. So one way or another, you've now got no excuse but to send in some questions and comments to the show. And that's your lot for this week. Thank you very much for listening. As always, check out the show notes at boagworld.com forward slash podcast select episode 108, which has also got that telephone number and uh, Skype ID I mentioned earlier because it's always hard to remember things like that when you're hearing them sitting on the train or wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but I miss Marcus's joke. And I did toy with the idea of maybe telling a joke myself, but then I figured I can't really massacre jokes quite as well as Marcus does. So I've decided not to do that. But instead, I want to leave you today with Marcus's appearance on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. For those of you that haven't seen the show before, basically they do a lineup of has-beens. Well, they have one has-been on pop star and uh, the panel has to guess which of the lineup is the real pop star and which are the fakes and so just so you understand what's going on in this clip marcus is number four in the lineup really audio doesn't do it justice you need to see the video but if you don't have a browser available in order to see it in the show notes then check it out here Okay, Bill, Robin and Mark, you have some sensitive 80s balladry for the audience only. Here's Breathe with Hands to Heaven.
That was Breathe with a 1988 hit, Hands to Heaven. But which of our lineup is guitarist and keyboard player Marcus Lillington? Is number one, Hands to Heaven. Number two, Hands that do dishes. Number three, Handy McDowell. Number four, Handy Semitic. And number five, Handy Lloyd Webber. I think it's number four. Yeah, I've got a feeling about four. He's got that twinkle in his eye. Yeah. Now, we have to find Marcus Lillington. Yes, we do. We've yeah, got to I... take this seriously, you know. We have these people every week and no one, no one cares. You know, he's worked all yeah, his career to get to this point and you don't care. I care. I think Robin's right. I think four. I don't think Robin has any interest. Just, just, to, just to raise the stakes a bit, because I think they need to be raised. If you don't get it right, the person that you choose will be taken around the back and shot. Ah. <laughs> okay. It's number one, then. <laughs> What are you going for? Number two, I reckon. Two. You're going for two? Yes. Okay, let's see if you're right. Would the real Marcus Lillington please step forward? Ah, oh, number four. Yeah. Now playing with new band Stroke the Toad, Marcus Lillington, ladies and gentlemen.